Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. We're getting into this spiritual maturity again, looking at the third mark tonight. Many of you know that we've been doing this on Wednesday nights, looking at the different marks, looking at the impedances uh, to spiritual maturity. Uh, We've seen two of each. We've seen two marks, and we've seen two impedances. Who remembers the two marks so far? Somebody's pointing. (laughs) What's the the first mark? Anybody remember the first mark? Humility. Humility. There you go. Humility. What was the second mark? Love. Very good. So humility and love, these are just, again, not chronological order. They're not necessarily built upon each other. They're just uh, definitely marks of maturity. Um, what are the two impedances? So remember what the first impedance was? Very good. Strife and division. Yeah, strife slash division. And then what was the second one? Carnality. Very good. Fleshly indulgence. Uh, again, these things are roadblocks. They're impedances for us, uh, to, for us becoming spiritual mature. Uh, but again, just remember, Scripture is very clear that we have a divine call. We've been predetermined in a goal that we have as Christians, and that that predetermined goal, that predestined call, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. It is Christ likeness. And so, um, wherever you're at in your spiritual walk, God has designed you to be shaped into the fashion of Jesus Christ. The life he lived, who he is, uh, all that, we are all supposed to be being conformed to the image of Christ. Um, What does that look like, though, right? I mean, if you hear, that's our predestined plan. We're supposed to be growing spiritually. We're supposed to be growing to spiritual maturity. We're supposed to be fashioned like Christ. What What does that actually mean? What does it look like? I believe it means to have our lives shaped through the Word of God. That happens through many things. It happens through teaching. It happens even through trials. It happens through serving others. It happens through the edification that happens when we are here and serving each other and using our gifts and loving each other and putting others over ourselves. Again, all of this aids in our being conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, It also means to be built up. It means to be strengthened uh, to the aim of being complete. In other words, we are to be growing spiritually and reaching uh, this place where we lack nothing spiritually. Now again, if you look at the Apostle Paul, he says, I've not obtained that. I've not arrived. I haven't come to a place where I'm absolutely complete. But again, that is the predestined call. That's the plan. That's what God has designed every single one of his children to go towards, which is again, spiritual completeness. Jesus would say, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect at the end of Matthew chapter 5. I think it's verse 48. And so um, that is what we're called to be, is to be complete, lacking nothing spiritually. So we have to have, um, I think, some indicators that show us that we're moving along this path of spiritual maturity. The Bible gives us these indicators. The Bible talks about these things being present, not only in the Christian's life, Uh, But again, as we become more like Christ, I believe these marks, as it was in his life, become more evident in our life. In other words, there's not any point in time that you could look at Jesus Christ, his ministry on the earth, and say, was he loving? You know, I mean, you can't say at any point in his life and and ask the question, was Jesus humble? Again, we look in in John chapter 3, we look in 
Um, Philippians chapter 2, where, where the Bible says that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And that kind of leads into our third mark. And so uh, let's pray, and we'll get into that. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you again for allowing us to be here. And uh, as Brother Nosh said, it is, it's been exciting uh, just to be able to spend time uh, in, in different ways uh, with, with the body and, and um, Lord, just to be focused on you. And I know that some haven't been able to be a part of that and maybe you're going through difficult times, maybe struggling with their health, maybe struggling just within, in their family, in their relationships. Um, tonight, I, I pray that as we look to your word and as we're in this message, God, that we'd be able to set all that aside and we'll be able to focus on you. You are, are worthy of our complete devotion and our complete attention. And so, Lord, I ask that uh, you would just simply move me out of the way, use me as a vessel uh, so that you could be the forefront. Lord, your word would be what is um, spoken. This message is, is, is uh, uh, just declared. And again, your spirit has full reign in this place. And um, Lord, help us as we are striving to, uh, spirit, to be spiritually mature. Lord, that's our pursuit, that's our desire. We realize that's what your, our, our call is. And so uh, help us to take this tonight and not only hear it, but apply it in our lives and, and we'll praise you for what you do. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So the third mark, as I said a while ago, there's no way that you'd be able to say, uh, was Jesus humble? And the other thing that I, I would say that you couldn't say that he was not or that you would say, was Jesus this, uh, was obedient. And so I don't think that you could say, was Jesus obedient? Uh, because it was clear that Jesus was obedient. We'll look at that tonight. And that's the third mark of spiritual maturity is obedience. Um, obedience has been a part of God's plan for us as man from the very beginning. It's been his plan. It's been his desire. Again, we see that in the Garden of Eden, even with Adam and Eve. From the very beginning, before sin was even a, a thing, God gave them commands. He gave them responsibilities. He gave them charges, and they were to obey God's voice. And the moment that they decided to make that a discretionary matter and not a matter of, uh, you know, a, a, an imperative matter, that's when sin entered in. Wow, did, did God really say this? Is this what God really wants? And listening to the serpent, and again, disobeying God's word, rebelling against the word of God, and again, sin was brought upon all man through that choice. And so, uh, it's always been God's desire. Now, we, we face a, a few things in our culture today because people want to make truth relevant, and so therefore, obedience to God's word becomes relevant. There's another factor in that, we've talked about this along the way as well, that you have the far-right extreme legalist who say that this is what you've got to do uh, to earn God's approval. Let's remember, none of us can earn God's approval. It's all God's grace. None of us can earn that. None of us can can earn right standing with God. Uh, now, we can live a life, and we can uh, be, be a workman that's approved, that, that doesn't need to be put to shame, that's not ashamed. And so, uh, but again, we can't be good enough for God. All our righteousness is a filthy rags. And so, again, it's by His grace alone that we are His children. It's by His grace alone that we are qualified. Nosh was talking about the men's retreat, and I had a breakout um, on, on Saturday morning, and my, my bracket was uh, roadblocks to leadership, and um, that was one of the things that I said is, is you know, we have to uh, make sure and understand that God has called us, and um, I don't know why I shared that. It was about God's call. I don't know. Anyways, moving on. Um, 
<laughs> it was a good conference. Yeah, I remember it. Um, but again, God from the very beginning has desired for us to obey him. And um, one of the things I put in your notes for you to write down is this. Obedience is keeping, observing, following what God says, how God says it, and why he says it. Um, again, when we look at what God has expected of mankind, um, oh, that's what it was, the call of God, yeah. Uh, the qualifications of, of being a leader, the qualifications of being a child of God are similar, and that is the grace of God. Uh, we can't be a, a, a child of God, we can't be a leader for the Lord, other than except by the grace of God. Um, and so, but it doesn't, it doesn't negate, it doesn't take away the responsibility just because it's by God's grace and just because we live in this age of grace, because we're in the New Testament, uh, it doesn't take away our responsibility to obey what God has commanded. Um, again, Paul would speak to this and say, don't use the liberty that you have for an occasion of the flesh. You, the liberty you have in Christ under the grace of God doesn't give you the right to do what you want to do. And we'll see tonight, it's quite the opposite. The Apostle Paul saw it very opposite. He, saw, he considered himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ once he became a child of God. Once he was freed from the, 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 the chains of sin, once he was freed from his old man, Paul saw himself as a bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ. And so um, it's the opposite of, of some of the narratives that we hear even today that God is okay with your partial obedience or God is is you don't have to necessarily do this all the time or it's going to be okay if you don't do this all again there are narratives that are that are spoken throughout christendom that i believe are of the enemy because nowhere in god's word do we give do we see an allowance for us to ever disobey god never it's it's not well, it's okay if you don't because of God's grace. I mean, God still loves you and will still forgive you. It doesn't change the fact that God loves you. It doesn't change the fact that God will forgive you. It doesn't change any of those things. But again, we are never given the allowance to disobey God at our discretion. It's never, never there. Again, where, where we find a difficult balance and maybe some would call it a little bit of tension in, in the Christian walk is the legalistic side. And that's, that's where we got to be careful because uh, we'll see tonight, uh, you can't walk in right fellowship with God without obeying his word. It's, it's just impossible. You can't say me and God got an arrangement. He's okay with me not doing these things and we're still close. It doesn't work like that. No, nowhere in scripture does it show that. Even in the Old Testament. And so, um, again, we have to be careful um, that we can't earn righteousness by our obedience. Righteousness is imparted to us by faith. It's always been that. So we get his righteousness. However, in our paternal relationship with God, we can't walk in a righteous, a close fellowship with him without sincere, complete obedience. Um, so again, um, there's a lot of factors in our, in our world today that try to sway us from absolute obedience to God. And all it takes sometimes is that one person, that one friend, that one other Christian that you know, to, to influence what God desires for you to be, to pull you away from what God desires as his child. Another note there, obedience, sincere obedience, comes from a place of submission, humility, and trust. 
See, when, when we are completely submitted, when we are completely living a humble life before the Lord, and we trust Him wholly, then you don't have to twist our arm to obey God. Like, you don't have to, when, when we are at a place where we say, you know what, I, my life is submitted, I'm humbly before the Lord, I trust Him in all things, you don't have to force me to, to share the gospel to try to teach others to follow him, to obey the Great Commission. You don't have to, you don't have to twist my arm to assemble with the, the believers when the believers uh, assemble. When, when you, you don't have to twist my arm to do those things. Now, there may be fleshly pulls. There may be temptations. There may be struggles that we have in the flesh, absolutely. But you don't, you don't have to force me when I'm submitted and humble and, and fully trusting the Lord. It's a joy to do when we're in that place. We're a place to, of submission. We're a place of humility. We're a place of trust. It is a joy to obey God's, obey God's word. I mean, you find the joy and the peace that comes in obeying God's word. I, I, I've seen it. I can't say that I've never been there before because I think I've probably been there before where you're doing the things that you're doing and you're not experiencing the joy and the peace that comes along with obedience. You're just going through the motions. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. And, that, and that's good that you're doing what you're supposed to do. But there is joy, there's joy and peace that comes along with obeying God Almighty. And that's what some of these factors are. Maybe we're not submitted holy. Maybe we're not living humbly. Maybe we're not fully trusting God. Uh, we're just doing things out of, out of ritual or, or whatever. Um, but obedience comes from a, 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 an abased place of understanding that God is worthy to obey. That's what it is. Put that in your notes, I believe, as well. Obedience comes from an abased place. In other words, a, a bow down, a humble place, a place of, of lowliness. And it's in that place that we understand that God is worthy to obey. Every word that Christ commanded is worthy for us to obey. And so if, if that's the case, then we've got to ask the question, when we begin to disagree that we are supposed to do this or we begin to have this discretion that I don't know that I have to do this or do this all the time what do we say then to God's commands or even more specifically what do we say to God about his commands that we say you are not worthy to obey I am the Lord I I am I'm the master I'm the one that decides what I do or what I don't do. Again, it's that abased place. It's that place of humility where we bowed our lives down before the Lord and have not only confessed him as Lord, but kept him in a place of lordship over our life to where we say, what you say goes. What you say, I follow. You lead, I follow. It's not that you say and then I decide. No, it's you say and I obey. That's lordship. Now, again, it's not robotic. It's not because, well, no, again, remember that place of submission, humility, and trust. Remember about sincere obedience. This is what God desires. God doesn't want a bunch of, an army of robots. God's, God doesn't want, uh, uh, he wants a family. He wants, he wants uh, friends. He, again, and, and that's what Jesus would say to his disciples. He goes, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Like we have this type of relationship, but let's understand the parameters. And so while we have a will to obey, absolutely, God doesn't want robots. We have a choice. Every person in here has a choice whether you're going to obey God or not. Absolutely. 
We have a will. But we do not have a right to disobey. That's the, that's the truth. That's the reality. As, as, as having, again, Paul would say this, you're no longer your own. You're bought with a price. You, you gave up your rights. You, you yielded. You, you crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts, as Paul would say. You, that's gone. The old man's gone. The person who lived for sin, the person who lived for the world, the person who lived for the flesh, that person is gone, and there's a new person in Christ Jesus. And that person gave, has no rights of their own. But you've been given heavenly rights. You've been given heavenly citizenship. Your citizenship is in heaven, the scripture says. So God has given you a right. What are your rights as, as a child of God? An heir, a joint heir. You've been taken from a bond of slave, uh, uh, to, uh, a slave to, to sin to a joint heir with the King of kings and the Lord of lords through the adoption of sons. There's, there's nothing that we've done ourselves. And so again, we've been given rights as sons and daughters and citizens of heaven. But they're not, it's not our rights. It's he's given us this place. And we have now the privilege to obey him. And that's a privilege. To be able to, to, be able to do something that would please a holy God, unholy people in themselves, given the opportunity, given this position, given this place as a son, as a daughter, as a, as a friend, as a servant, whatever. That's a privilege to be able to serve. I mean, think about this. Maybe you've been in a job before where um, your boss asked you to do something. And asked somebody else, yes, asked, asked you to do something. And this is cool. The boss asked me to do I, This is a great responsibility. It's a privilege to do this. And that's an earthly boss. What if, uh, what if, what if uh, you know, the... The Congress, what if the president, what if, what if a, a huge world figure asked you to do something? Out of all the American citizens, I'm asking you to do this. We'd be like, wow, why me? What's the catch? You know? <laughs> but God has asked us to do this. So again, we have a will, but we don't necessarily have a right to disobey. This is the, one of the mindsets that develops in a maturing believer as we go, and it's this. I have, the, I have this great, not only privilege to obey God, but I have this great desire to obey God. So if that's where you're at, if you, that's where you're at in your life, you, you see obeying God's word as not only a privilege, but you, you, you know for sure it's an absolute desire in your heart. You're not always looking for reasons why not to obey. You are always seeking. You always have the desire to obey. Uh, you're moving down the right path. James chapter 1 would say this in verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves, who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks, in his natural, uh, looks at his natural face in a mirror, for once he's looked at himself, and then he, and he's gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was, right? And that's like getting up in the morning, not washing your face, not brushing your teeth, looking at yourself and being like, ugh, and then leaving the house and forgetting what you look like in the mirror and what your breath smell like. That's what he's saying. If you look in the Word of God and you, you just read it and then nothing is applied, that's what it's like. It's like you look at your natural face in a mirror and then you go your way forgetting there were some things that you actually needed to do to yourself 
before you went your way. But you forget and you just go about your business. That's what he says. But he says this. But, who, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, does it, not having become a forgetful here, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Did you hear what that says? That says if you are able to look into the word of God and say, God says I'm supposed to love others as myself. God says I'm supposed to uh, put others before myself. God says I'm supposed to share the gospel with, with all who are, who are in need. I, I'm supposed to, to, to give and, and with, with a cheerful heart. I'm supposed to serve one another in love. I'm supposed to do all these things that are commanded even in the New Testament. And if I do them in sincerity with the right heart, the Bible says that we'll be blessed in what we do. And so again, it's so important for, for us to realize the word of God is given. It has commands. Even in the New Testament, God wants us to obey, and they're not discretionary matters. Jesus would go further and say this in John chapter 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's a pretty, that's a pretty strong like condition. If you love me, this is what you are to do. Well, I love God. Do you keep his commands? Well, most of the time. No, no, no. That's not in there. So, but who keeps them all the time? Nobody does. But that should, that's our aim. That's our goal. That's what every child of God should, should desire to do. I want to keep the commands of God. Not because I have to, to prove myself to God or not because I have to prove that I'm good enough for God. Again, let's throw all that garbage out. That's not, you can't do that. You can't prove to be good enough for God. You can't do, you can't earn his affection. He already has given his affection. But when we have the affection for God, we have the love for God that we're supposed to. Again, obeying him is a result of that. John chapter 14, verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loved me. Very clearly, if you have my commands and you obey them, that's evidence that you love me. And he that loveth me shall be loved my father, and I will love him. Look what happens. And I will manifest myself to him. So, man, I just want to know the Lord more. I want, to, I want Christ to be more magnified in my life, more evident in my life. I want my relationship to be deeper with him. He says, if you have my commandments, keep them. And, and, and it's, it's from, because of a, a place of love. And when you have this love and you have this connection with the Father, you have the connection with the Son. And again, as you are walking in fellowship with Him, He manifests Himself more and more to you. It's that path of, again, Christ-likeness, of, of becoming more like Him. There's a deepening of the relationship, a closing of the gap in the closeness with Christ when we obey from love His commands. That's what happens. The, the, the distance that um, we have for, from where we are to Christ's likeness, the gap is, is closed when we obey from love his commands. Uh, it's the beauty of being a bondservant. Again, that's why I said a while ago, that's why Paul uh, embraced this so much. You, you get this? Like Paul never at one point in time said, in all my obeying, I don't feel like I'm getting closer to God. No, Paul at, at one point would say, you know what? I want to know him. I want to know, I want to be, be, uh, have fellowship with his sufferings. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I'm willing to go to death for him. Matter of fact, to die is gain. Paul was so willing to obey Christ to death, and he seemed to get more and more joy from this. 
he seemed to get closer and closer to the Lord as he was obeying even unto death. See, to be a bondservant in the, in the, the biblical times meant that you had, you had provision, you had protection. Um, and, and so again, Paul sees himself as this, the privilege of following the Father as a bondservant afforded him those, that protection and provision knowing the goodness and, and the love of God. But the lie that the enemy would have us to believe is that to be a bondservant that obeys every word of the master is limiting and stifling. And again, that's, that's a narrative that's, that's spoken today is that, well, if you, you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to obey every single word of God. Like, you need to back off some. Just experience and enjoy the grace of God. I don't know that you can enjoy the grace of God any more than loving him more and obeying him more. What, a, what a, a great joy and privilege it is. Again, the, the enemy would, would, would cast that lie over and over. Well, you're, you're trying to do this, but that's limiting. Make no mistake with all of this. There is a great difference between having religious rules and having biblical and sincere obedience. And I, I don't want anybody to walk away with, with that at all. This, I'm not talking about religious rules. I'm not talking about even church preferences or even pastor preferences. I'm not, I'm not talking about any of the things. I, I'm not talking about, again, a check mark of, well, I did this today and I did that today and I did this today and I did that today. And, and so why isn't God blessed? It's not that. It's not a, a religious rules. Again, it's a relationship with the Lord, understanding that relationship, having the right love, having the right connection, and then responding from that place. Again, I think biblical... Obedience, sincere obedience results, and the Bible says that man who does that will be blessed in what he does. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, again, Samuel said, As the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as he does in obeying his voice. Again, God, look, look, I give this, I've done that, I do this for the church, I serve like that, I do this, I do that. Listen, you know what God wants? God is not so much interested in our sacrifice especially when it comes to sacrificing obedience at the sake of sacrifice. Uh, unfortunately, people will, will do that. I, I send tithe to the church every week. It's okay if I don't make every service. Who said that? Who said Like, if, if that can be shown, I'll, okay, I'll admit it. That's, that's wrong. And then vice versa. But we don't want to hear that either. I show up every time. And, 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 and my money is, is, is my money. Listen, if you're just sacrificing the sacrifice, God would rather you, I think, keep your sacrifice if it's not going to be, if you're not going to be willing to obey him. He'd rather you obey than to just offer a vain and empty sacrifice to him. To substitute for your obedience. He says to obey is better to sacrifice than to heed the fat of rams. Matthew chapter 28 verse 20. It says this, right? Teaching them to observe all things. Right? This is the great commission. This is the charge that Jesus gave to the church. Go ye therefore and, pre and teach all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all all things whatsoever I have what? Commanded you. That's Jesus talking. That wasn't Old Testament 
Ten Commandments, that's Jesus before he goes to be with the Father at the right hand saying to his followers, this is your mission. This, until I return, listen, and I'm going to be with you to the end of the earth in doing this mission, in accomplishing this work, I'm going to be with you. But here's the job. Here's the task. Here's the mission. Here's the heavenly mission. Go and make disciples of all nations. And when they are converted, baptize them. And when they're baptized, then teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. The point of discipleship. The object is that the disciple will obey. Teach them to observe all of Christ's commands. The further, put this in your notes, that we get from wrestling with obedience to God, the closer we get to Christ-likeness. The further we get from wrestling with obedience to God and his commands, the closer we get to Christ-likeness. The, the less of an issue it is for us to say, well, the Bible says this, and so I do this because I desire to, because I love the Lord, because I, I, I want to please him, because he's my Lord, he saved me, and, and, and it's a relationship that we have. He's the Lord, he's the master, I'm the servant, I'm the child. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's not by force, it's by desire. And the further we get from wrestling with, I just don't, I don't think I have to. Again, the further we get from that, the closer we get to Christ-likeness. See, Christ was constantly submitting himself. Christ was always submitted, ever submitted, and always obeying the Father's will. There was, as I said, there's no point in Christ's ministry that you could look at him and say, I wonder if he's struggling with obeying. I wonder if he's struggling with submitting. Even when he's in the garden praying, you know, if this cup can pass for me, let it be. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. It wasn't that Christ was struggling with obeying the Father's will. It's not that he was struggling with that. At no point did, did, did the Son uh, struggle with obeying the Father's commands, His Word, His will. And Jesus Himself said these things. In Luke chapter, I mean John chapter 6, verse 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. It was very clear. The, the Son coming to accomplish the Father's will. He would go on in chapter 12, and He would say this, He that rejecteth me, and re receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. Here it is, the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in that last day. For I have not spoken to myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. So again, Jesus made it very clear. I came here to do the will of the Father. The words that I'm speaking to you come from the Father. He's the Word incarnate. Again, he says, look, I'm not doing my own thing. I'm doing what the Father has told me and has, has spoken for me to speak. It's about him. And again, we look at his, his example, again, Christ-likeness. It was an absolute submission. It was an absolute obedience to the will of the Father. So the question is, I think, begged to ask is this. Were Christ's teachings pointless then? If, 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 if obedience is not, if it's not necessary for obedience to be absolute, then I think that the answer could be, well, some of them maybe were pointless. But if the answer is no, if there was a point to everything Jesus taught, 
then it demands absolute obedience. It demands absolute obedience. He would go on to say back in John chapter 6 and verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, that makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The, the flesh can't do anything for you in eternity, but the spirit can make you alive. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. So again, Jesus spoke his words, his commands, they give life. They are, they are everlasting life. They're of the Father. They're important. So when you look at having biblical knowledge, when you look at having biblical teaching in any capacity, whether it's something like this, a Sunday school, a Bible study, personal devotion, whatever, whenever you are getting biblical knowledge or you, you're having biblical teaching go on, they're not just things. It's not just it's not just a thing. Well, we go to church and they just teach. And, and, and I go to this Bible study and it's, just, it's not just things. This right now, your personal Bible study, your, 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 uh, your group Bible study, all these things, when we gain biblical knowledge, when there's biblical teaching, they all serve a purpose. And it's not just informative. It's not just to have information. Think about that. We, we don't gather here, and we're not reminded. Some of these things that you're hearing, it's not new to, any, to, to some of you. It's just absolutely not new, and that's not even my job, is to remind you, to stir you up in remembrance, as, as Peter would say. But to some, maybe it is new. Maybe it's a new thing, a new concept. Maybe all you've heard is, I can decide what I want to obey because I'm under grace. But teaching and knowledge is not just a thing. It's, there's... It's not just informative information. Well, that's good to know. It's not that. It's not like we went to Sunday school class and I heard something uh, that I, you know, I've heard before and it's good information. That's not, the, that's not the point of teaching. When you sit down and you read your Bible and you're, and, and you're reading it, it's not just to read it, just to read it or to read it just to have information. That's not the point of it. We were talking before service and I think it's... Um, uh, Psalm 119 somewhere where it says thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee it's the purpose right I hide your word in my heart what, for what reason that I might not sin against thee there's a purpose it's not just to have information in your heart the biblical knowledge is not just there to have in your cranium it is, it is for a reason there's a reason that we all have biblical knowledge the Bible isn't like a historical marker that you pass by and find out some information has anybody ever been to this historical marker over here off uh, Boat Club Road, right at the corner? Three people? Cool. Uh, what is it? Was over here? Huh. Information, see? That's historical? I guess it's historical for Saginaw. Oh, it was the first school in this area? Wayside was? Over here? Wow. Maybe I should have stopped. <laughs> but it's, again, it's not, the Bible's not like that. Drive by, like that didn't change my life. I mean, it's interesting to know, but it didn't change my life. I don't, I don't have anything to respond to with that information. There's nothing I can do with that. I mean, I could tell other people, but it doesn't change their life. It doesn't demand a response. It's just information. The Bible's not like a historical marker where you say certain things occurred over here. Wayside Middle School or Wayside School, whatever it was called, used to be over here. It's not, it's not like that. 
then go about your life without a response or without a change in your life. The Bible is the Word of God. Again, it's the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation, and it absolutely demands a response. It's holy. It's inerrant. It's alive. It's living, as the Scripture says. And it was God-breathed. In, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And here it is, and for training in righteousness, a righteous living, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Again, every word is profitable for teaching. Every word is profitable for teaching, for doctrine. Why, though? Why, why is teaching even a thing? Why is teaching necessary to learn and to be affected by what you learn? Again, why are there tests in school? Why are there quizzes in school? Why is there homework? Why, why, what is the point of teaching and gaining knowledge? It demands a response. And again, when we look at biblical knowledge, we look at this, the teaching. Well, again, whether it's person, uh, private or, or public, corporate, it demands a response. God's way of, his, of instruction is both the spoken word and the written word. Of course, we have the written word in here, and God uses human vessels by way of teachers. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4, where he says he gave to the, the church certain gifts, evangelists, uh, uh, teachers, and, 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 and pastors and stuff. So, um, but let's not make a mistake. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. I'm a vessel. Every teacher in here is a vessel. The Holy Spirit is the one that teaches uh, because, again, it's uh, his ministry, part of his ministry. We see all Scripture is also good. It shows us our wrongs. It shows us our sins. And the Bible says it's profitable for reproof, for correcting us. It's good for directing us, training us in righteous living as we just saw. And that is, that's the point. The purpose of having the knowledge of what God has to say through his word, through teaching it or being taught, through reading, uh, through uh, discipling, is that we would apply it, that we would obey it, an effort to align our life with it, which would be righteous living. That's, that's the whole point. God gave, that's what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 means, is God breathed his word out, it was written down, and here's what it's profitable for. It's profitable to teach. It's profitable to, uh, to correct, to show where we're wrong. And it's profitable so that we can live a righteous life. In other words, we can live in right fellowship with God. Well, how does that happen? Through obedience. It's through obedience. Sincere obedience, right obedience. The Bible tells us that every word of God is pure. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. God's word can do these things. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says. It says that it's living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This is the word of God. I read this morning in Psalms chapter 128. I'm about done. Um, I was reading and, and it's so interesting that it lined up with what I was going to be preaching tonight. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, but verse 1 says this, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. 
Which, you know, if you just take it at face value, seems really weird, right? Can you imagine sitting at your kitchen table and your wife is a fruitful vine and children, olive plants sitting around the table? It's a weird, right, thing? It's just, is it in your head? Half of you? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it, it, again, it means that you'll be blessed. There's, there's, there's fruitfulness. There's blessing that comes from a life that is obedient to God's word. That's what it says. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, who obey his word. Behold, for thus shall a man be blessed who fears the Lord. I, uh, I don't want us to be naive to believe that obedience, sincere obedience, isn't rewarded. It may be rewarded here, and in eternity, it may be re rewarded only in eternity, but sincere obedience, it's clear that it's rewarded. And not only is it clear that it's rewarded, it's also clear that it's a mark in a maturing Christian. A, a, a person's life who is growing closer to Christ bears the, marks, or bears the mark of sincere obedience. So one of the things you say, man, am, am, am I moving the right direction in my spiritual journey, am I moving closer to Christ-likeness? Am I moving closer to uh, being a more spiritually complete person? I think that one of the marks that we've got to evaluate is, what does obedience to God's word look like in my life? Do I kind of toss up sometimes whether I'm going to do this or whether I'm not going to do that? Or is it simply a matter of, I love my Lord and I want to obey him? God said it. And so I want to do it. I don't have to do it. I do have to do it. But it's, that's not where I'm coming from. I'm coming from a place of I want to do it because I love him. And I know his commandments are pure. I know his word is good. I know that all of his ways are right. I know that everything he says is good for me, even if it's hard for me to do. And so I love him, and so that's why I want to obey him. If that's where you are in your, in, in your life, man, you are, you are spiritually maturing. You're in the right direction of pursuing spiritual completion. But if you're here tonight and you're kind of tossing, if, if there's a, a weekly battle between whether you want to do something, whether you don't want to do something that God's word commands, uh, I would encourage you, you're either sitting still or maybe you're even going the wrong way in your spiritual progression, your spiritual growth. Does your life look like that sincere obedience out of love? Well, maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, man, I don't, I do, I absolutely do. I mean, I, I show up for church, I, I, I try to tell people, I, I, I do this and I do that and I try to love and I try to put, you know, all the, even the New Testament commands, serve one another love, I try to do all those things, but sometimes I, I don't want to. Just kind of begrudged. What about, does your life look like an inconsistent obedience? Does, do you, do you have seasons of your life where you're like, man, I love obeying God. I love doing these things. I love serving and giving and loving and, and helping and edifying and all these things that I'm, I'm commanded to do, I desire to do and I want to. And then you go, you, you go from that season to, to a season where you're saying, ah, again, you gotta do this. Is, is it inconsistent? Is it up and down? Is it a roller coaster? Are you, are you progressing where you find that joy and, and, and peace in that. Again, I, I think that it's a matter of trust and a matter of love. The more you love and the more you trust the Lord, the more obedience becomes evident, sincere, 
and rewarding. The closer you draw to him, the more you want to obey him. That's just the way it goes. It's all throughout scripture. Again, Jesus would say in John chapter 14, he that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loveth me. And so tonight I just want to encourage you uh, to evaluate, is this my life? Am I loving the Lord? Again, that's a, that's a mark in itself we talked about. It's a mark of a Christian, but a mark of a, uh, of a maturing Christian, the more that love is evident in our life. Am I loving God, and, and is, it, is it causing me to obey God and want to obey God even more? Or do I find myself trying to find excuses? Do I find myself trying to, uh, you know, a lot for disobedience in this area, or a lot for disobedience in, in, in areas that are convenient? And do I only obey in areas that are uh, inconvenient, in areas that are convenient for me? Again, wherever you're at, um, I hope that, I, I know if you're a Christian, there's something inside of you that's pulling you to absolute sincere obedience, and that's the Holy Spirit. And um, I just want to encourage you with that tonight and challenge you with you and respond however the Lord leads you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you again for the challenge you've given me in this. Um, Lord, I don't want to ever go through the motions. I don't want to ever um, not be sincere in obeying you. I never want to be uh, at a place where uh, obedience doesn't come from love and sincerity and trust and submission. Uh, and I pray that would be the prayer of all of our hearts, God. Uh, we, we see in your, in your word that that's the blessed life. That's the life that has promise and blessing is the life that's walking in fellowship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you just move tonight and help us respond rightly, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name.